Here we are with another podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Corey. I'm podcasting again. It's another week. And uh, yeah, it's time for me to talk and talk about a lot of stuff this week. First and foremost, I am really, really excited to tell everybody that Eric S. Brown is coming back to the podcast this week. Got to talk to him, and uh, he's got some exciting things going on. You know, Eric S. Brown is one of the coolest guys in the world, one of the nicest guys that you'll ever meet. Uh, I've talked to him several times here on the show, and uh, I welcome him back today to talk about all kinds of great stuff. So that is coming up a little bit later on. But before we get to all that, you're going to have to listen to me just ramble on and on and on and on about stuff you probably don't even care about. But I appreciate that you stick around and uh, actually listen to it for whatever reason. You're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> oh, well, just to remind you, Midnight Cory is the official podcast of the Italian zombie movie. And uh, in fact, this is so great. Uh, I was going through the voicemails this morning before I started recording the show here. And uh, Tom Berdinsky left a voicemail this week, and it's absolutely wonderful. Tom, of course, being the writer, producer, director of the Italian zombie movie, parts one and two. And uh, yeah, yeah, fantastic guy. Fantastic guy. And uh, I, I'm just honored to uh, be able to call him a friend. So, go check it out, the Italian zombie movie. Um, let's see, what else is going on? Well, uh, everybody knows I've been talking about this every single week for a long time, and that's about this little short film that I'm making. It's a one-man film. Uh, I've been making tons of progress on it, so much progress, in fact, that I became motivated to finally post a video update uh, to YouTube, part of the vlog series. It's now part six of my whole vlogging thing about the making of my one-man movie. It's just a little update. Uh, I actually posted it on uh, Midnight Cory under the blog, you know, as a, a blog post. And if you go to Midnight Cory and you look at that post, there is an exclusive bonus waiting just for you. So, yeah, it's actually a still shot from the film. So, yes, you are seeing the very uh, first uh, frame released from my little one-man effort. It's not the first frame of the movie, but it's a frame from the film, a first look, if you will. It's like an exclusive. I'm wondering if, like, now, you know, once, uh, you know, Dread Central and Shock Till You Drop and, uh, you know, the big horror sites like that find that I have this exclusive first picture from my one-man horror short, man, they're going to be wanting to snatch that up and saying that they got the exclusive on my exclusive shot. I can't wait for the emails to start rolling in anytime now, I'm sure of it. <laughs> oh, just kidding, just kidding. Um, let's see, a lot of things going on. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited this weekend. Uh, my brother and his wife are coming to visit us, and um, I got to talk to him the other day, and he brought up that he had finally seen Survival of the Dead, and he wanted to know if I had seen it and what I thought about it. So uh, I was kind of going out on a limb because even though my brother and I love a lot of the same movies, there are other movies that, you know, we kind of disagree about. So I didn't know if my view of survival was going to line up with his. So I'm like, it absolutely sucked. By far, George Romero's worst film. 
And my brother's like, amen to that. I thought the same exact thing. And uh, so we talked about survival and how much it sucked and how uh, my brother actually did not even want to uh, finish the movie. He shut it off before it ended because he said it was so horrible. And I said, well, you know, it is worth seeing the whole way through because there's that beautiful shot of the duel at the end with the moon behind them. And it's a it, it's beautiful cinematography. And you should put up with it at least, you know, till that because it's, it's a great thing to behold, especially if you have, you know, a nice... Uh, uh, HD TV, or you know, you see it in the theater or something like that. But anyhow, anyhow, yeah, yeah, the brothers Graham <laughs> agree on Survival of the Dead. <laughs> so yeah, and actually, I think we agreed on Zombieland too. To be honest with you, now that I, I think about it, I saw it. Now it's been a year ago. I actually uh, took him out after uh, <laughs> after the rehearsal dinner for his wedding. That was fun. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, we neither of us were really. Um, excited about Zombieland. So anyhow, anyhow. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll actually be bringing those films up again a little bit later in the podcast here. I'm just rambling right now. So this week, my, uh, my, my main movie review is Creature with the Atom Brain from 1955. It's kind of the next in the, in the line of zombie movies that I'm reviewing. Started clear back with the first ever zombie movie, which was White Zombie, and I'm going up through and talking about as many as I can possibly find. So yeah, 1955, we're in the sci-fi age here, you know, the, oh, yeah, crazy science going on, so yeah, yeah. anyhow, I'll talk about that. Um, I'm getting off a long string, well, I don't know, a long string for me, not for maybe some of you, but, uh, you know, I, I'm coming off a string of conventions and things that I've been hitting up. In the last four weeks, I've been to three conventions, you know, we started off with Horror Realm, and then... Two weeks later, went to Cinema Wasteland, and then this very past weekend, I went to the Erie Horror Film Festival. So, yeah, I have been a busy, busy fella, and working on my movie and all that, but anyhow, I'll be telling you about what I experienced at the Erie Horror Film Festival. It was absolutely wonderful. Uh, I saw a ton of films, talked to a lot of people, so I'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. Um, I'll be talking about uh, several movies uh, on my uh, Netflix Instant Watch recommendation for you, so, uh, yeah, yeah, um, and, uh, no review of beers again this week, um, the only thing I have to talk about that has to do with beer at all is that, uh, I have relinquished my supply of good beer, uh, I had, uh, my case of dogfish head, and it ran out, uh, I have been too lazy to go out and get new beer that would be worth drinking, and so, as of late, I have had to fall back, on my reserves of uh, plain old yingling in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. So, which, uh, I don't know. It's it, it tastes horrible now that I've been drinking, like, you know, Dogfish Head and the Better Craft beers and things. I don't know. I don't know. Ah, got voicemails this week. Voicemails of death. Like, uh, I already mentioned Tom Burdinsky's one of them, and there are a couple others that are fantastic. And again, original music. I'm bringing you a cover this week. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. What's it gonna be? Oh, oh, oh. I should make that like a contest. You know, guess what Corey's gonna cover next.
very uh, skeptical of Zach. All right, I thought about this last week when it was mentioned about the Autumn movie. Um, <laughs> I actually just got this movie in the mail. Um, it came out last year. I've been wanting to see it. I didn't read the book, actually, by Dave Moody, but I listened to the podcast of the book, which was basically a dramatization, sort of, of the novel. And it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, turns out there are five books in this series. And based on the first book, uh, I would total, or I didn't read the book, but the uh, podcast of the book, I would say it's totally worth uh, picking up. Now, as far as David Moody goes and the other books mentioned, which are Hater and Dog Blood, um, Hater, I read an audiobook. Uh, it, was, it was read by an English fellow with a good English accent. And I, I recommend this source of the book because this guy will really give you a feel of how the author really meant it because the author is obviously British. And I don't know, I just feel like you can't get the true sense of a British book if, it, if you don't read it in a British accent. And, I know most of us don't have British accents in our heads. But anyway, the sequel to that book, Dog Blood, I think was a superior book. I think even though Hater isn't the best book I've ever read, it was, it was good. But it, if you can make it through that book in order to read Dog Blood only, then that would totally make it worth it. Dog Blood was really awesome and insightful. If I can summarize it to maybe hook everybody, it is basically a 28 days rage style zombie that's not quite as sick and still has their mind intact, but they just have this awesome urge to kill. And the later part of the first book and the whole part of the second book is from an infected person's point of view. And it's just something that I've never heard or seen before, and I really appreciated it. I, I thought it was extremely insightful and original. And so I, I recommend if you want to, it's like it's like that movie Colin, except uh, you know a, a different style of zombie, but it really gives you the perspective from the infected person's point of view, which is something that is really rare, I think. So you guys got to check it out later. Uh, hey, it's, uh, Skeptical Zach again. Alright, sorry, I forgot to mention before about the Autumn movie. That's totally available for purchase from, like, Amazon. That's where I got it. Um, beware, though. I ordered it from some, like, backwater dealer of movies, and it took, like, 30 days to get here. It was absolutely ridiculous. I've never had that kind of experience with Amazon before. But, uh, yeah, so if you order the movie, beware. It might take a, a minute to get there, but eventually you'll get it, and it's half-ass enjoyable. Not nearly as good as the book. Skip the movie, get the podcast of the book. It's awesome, and go from there. Uh, hey, Skeptical Zach, it's good to hear from you again, man. Um, thank you for uh, telling me about Autumn, because there are some people who were uh, just saying that 
uh, Autumn sucked and other people just didn't know. And it's kind of obscured. Not a lot of people, uh, I think, know about it. So uh, I appreciate that. I'm going to have to dig that out. And especially I'm going to I'm gonna have to read some David Moody. Man, I don't think I've ever read anything of his. I have Hater on the shelf, and uh, I don't know. You kind of uh, got me interested in him here, so I'm going to have to make an effort to get to that. There are just so many books to read right now, man. Oh, oh. But, uh, dude, thanks for calling. Uh, it's great to hear from you. Frankie and Johnny Furniture is having a sale. Right now, you can buy three complete rooms of furniture for only $699 with only $250 down. Just $50 down on select items will put you in a great bedroom set or living room set today with no problem. All senior citizens get a 10% discount. Bad credit or no credit? No problem. Are you on welfare or social security? Are you newlyweds? No problem. Come see us. I say, I say, I say, this is Frankie and Johnny's, a place that lets you have it with no problem. I like to buy a bedroom set. Do you have any credit? No, I receive Social Security and welfare. You have to see the special man. Let him. With no problem. I like to buy a living room set. Do you have any credit? No, I filed bankruptcy. You have to see the special man. Let him. With no problem. I say, I say, see Frankie and Johnny, he's the credit man in town. For only $50 down, if you put you in a living room set, a bedroom set today, see the special man. I got the $50. Let him. With no problem. I got it, I got it with no problem. Well, with me once again, author extraordinaire, one of my favorite people of all time. I, I just can't say enough about him. Eric S. Brown, how you doing, my friend? Hey, it's good to be back. <laughs> oh, you are always welcome to be here. And uh, I'm just so happy that uh, you wanted to come back on and that uh, there are just so many wonderful things happening for you right now, uh, new books and all kinds of stuff. So what's been going on? Wow, yeah, there are always new books. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, from you, uh, we would expect no less. <laughs> uh, well, my very first hardcover ever in my career just came out here in the last week or so from Peel Hill Press, and it is a loose sequel to Season of Rock. Um, it's a four-novella hardcover called Season of Death. And uh, two of the novellas in it actually pick up right where uh, the novellas in Season of Rot left off. If you read Season of Rot, there was a novella called Rats that was a kind of Lovecraftian, demonic, zombie invasion thing. Uh, And Season of Rot's, the Season of Death's cover is um, actually from a novella called Undead Down Under that picks up with Kyle and the Lovecraftian demons and the zombies a couple years later in the Outback. And uh, if you like, you know, bikers fighting zombies or, you know, the new British Empire and that post-apocalyptic zombie Lovecrafting world, I think you'll greatly enjoy that novella. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rats, yeah. Was, Rats was fantastic. That was a lot of fun, so I'm excited about that. And uh, the other one that's a sequel, um, in Season of Rot, there was The Queen. Well, um, <clears throat> in Season of Death, there's Ragnarok Island, and it picks up instantly the exact instant where the queen left off with Scott floating there on the boat thinking about killing himself. And uh, he gets swept up by a ship that's part of a new Waterworld-esque fleet who are fighting the dead on the oceans. And uh, they come across this place called Ragnarok Island, which is the uh, title of the novella. Hmm. And uh, it's actually a military outpost from the old world that survived. So, uh, whereas the Queen was more the survival story of one ship, um, Ragnarok Island picks up with the character Scott and launches into a full-out war between humanity and the dead. Nice. 
And the other two novellas in the book, one's a Western and one's science fiction. So it's it's got a variety. And the, the Western one is actually a very zombie-like plague tale with demons, uh, Dario Argento style. So can't say enough about Season of Death. Please uh, support the small press and me and go out and snag a copy of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because with with Eric S. Brown, it's it's going to be fun. I mean, and it's going to be going to be wonderful. So I'm glad to see that you're still uh, still right now, especially about zombies. Are you burning out on zombies at all? Or do you still got apparently you still? Got oh, no, 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 no. I, I came up with a brilliant, you know, to me, brilliant zombie idea yesterday that I'm Sweet. trying to uh, convince a publisher that they need to buy it right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I started talks with the publisher about it yesterday and I'm waiting to hear back. But and uh, my probably my best zombie book of all time is getting ready to come out between now and the end of the year from Coscom Entertainment. Oh, my. And it is a post-apocalyptic future Western called The Weaponer. Uh, if you visit my Facebook page and scroll through some of my older posts, you can probably find the front and back cover to it. But um, it, it, it's uh, very Matrix-ish. Um, the premise is... The zombie apocalypse happened, and the United States built this gigantic wall out in kind of like the middle of the U.S. that just enclosed this little area, and in the center of this little area is one town, or started out as a city, rather, and this is the last big group of people left in the world. And when the book opens, it's many generations later, and the people inside that wall still know about the zombies, but they've kind of de-evolved from lack of being able to get stuff from the rest, around the, from the, rest of the world into kind of a Western civilization. And uh, doctor has become a prestigious title applied to anyone who has knowledge in any kind of you know field that was passed down from the old world. And uh, there are four doctor-type families inside the wall. Um, and uh, the main character, his family should be a doctor-class family, but uh, he's not. Uh, his he he is actually the weaponer, and uh, he pretty much is a gun weapons designer. His whole family has designed weapons and made weapons for generations. And uh, the prim- the whole point of the book, uh, in terms of the adventure story, is him going from this brilliant engineer guy who's probably the last person left in- alive in the world of humans who can create guns and ammunition to becoming this full-out matrix, you know, uh, I'd say Keanu Reeves, you know, bouncing around <laughs> style warrior. Nice. Um, but it, it's a very bizarre Mad Max meets Jonah Hex with Dawn of the Dead thrown in kind of story. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Who else can get away with combining, like, the Matrix and Westerns and zombies? <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. It's definitely fun. It has the longest one-person versus a horde of the dead zombie scene I've ever written. Beautiful. So, and of course, there are lots of smoking Gatling guns and six guns and you know, cool stuff. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful, man. So you you constantly write. I mean, is there a day goes by that you you're not writing something, or do you write every day? I try to write every day. Yeah. Um, most of the time, I'm writing. Right now, I'm writing Bigfoot War Two. Really? So that is my current project, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Uh, yeah, I love Bigfoot War. Bigfoot War is probably, personally, the best book I've ever written to me in my whole career. And I know that's, I say that a lot, but personally, because mm. it's a very personal book. I grew up being afraid of Bigfoot because I live in the rural south, 
and I was under contract to do a zombie novel, and I just begged and pleaded and said, hey, look, I've got this awesome idea, let me do it, and they were like, sure, and uh, since this came out, every single critic across the board has given it a good review, and most of the critics nice. have you know, said it, it's pretty much the best thing I've ever done, so if you want to see me at my best, Bigfoot Wars is a book for you. Yes. And uh, it's a small-town zombie-esque apocalypse with uh, gigantic Sasquatch-like creatures wiping out this whole place by 800 people. And uh, the sequel, um, Bigfoot War II, um, is going to be more of a horror comedy slash hardcore military violence book. Uh, oh the main one, <laughs> one of the main characters are actually the two guys the book opens with in Bigfoot War II. One's a horror geek and one's a comic geek. Nice. So you'll find all kinds of horror pop culture references throughout it. Sweet. And then if you've read Bigfoot War 2, I mean, if you've read the original Bigfoot War, you'll know going into it that it's going to be a much more military book mm. um, because the Army has gotten involved now and it's spreading beyond the uh, little county where it started. So uh, it, it, it should be a fun ride next year when it comes out. Nice, nice. Wow. Wow, man. So is there anything, how, how much do you have, like, when you're writing, how many things do you have there that are, are just, like, half done? I mean, do you have a bunch <laughs> of, like, like half-done manuscripts or maybe a paragraph of something that you thought was going to be great and that uh, you just kind of, you know, lost steam on as you were going? Or, or do you just, are you a, just a constant fountain and you just, you're, you're constantly, you know, producing great stuff? Usually I'll try and write two books at once. It helps me focus. Oh, man. That, that way, if I get stuck on one, I can hop over to the other one and, wow. and just uh, bounce back and forth. In terms of short stories, oh, I've got oodles of <laughs> ones that I've started and just kind of left off. I mean, when I was younger, I would sit down and I'd write a short story straight through, but I have so many projects constantly now all the time. I'll go, this is a great idea, and I'll write like a paragraph and go, wait a minute, I've got that book deadline tomorrow, and, you know, just toss it uh... And right there's the death knell of that story, if you're anything like me. You know, you, you start something, and then, you, like like you said, you get interrupted, or you're just like, oh, this is great, I'll pick this up later, this is going to be good. And then you never, ever see it again. <laughs> yeah, that happens to me some too, for sure. Hey, there's a contest for one of my books going on. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, if you drop by Sonar 4 Publications, uh, they are publishing my first ever dark superhero novel called The Human Experiment. And it comes out in December. And if you pre-order through their site now, I think not only do you get it at a discount, but you're entered in a drawing to win a free copy of uh, an autographed copy of Kim Barra Down, hmm. my uh, kind of Starship Troopers homage. So uh, if you like big space marines with guns and flesh-eating bugs and superheroes, you can order the superhero book and stand a chance at uh, winning a... Space Marines on Ice Planet Fighting Bugs novel. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. You're like one of the most diverse, you know, writers, you know, because you're, you're the zombie guy, but you're not just the zombie guy. You're also the giant bug guy and the Bigfoot guy and the, you know, the uh, giant Lovecraftian <laughs> rat guy. And, you know, <laughs> like you're not limiting yourself and you're a lot of fun. Wait till the day. The DC Comics gets crazy enough to hand me the Doom Patrol or the Flash. Oh man! Then you'll see insanity. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best thing. That that's the best decision I think they could make. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, I'm worlds away from there, but thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I but, would love that. You want to shake up the comic world? 
you put Eric S. Brown in charge, his sole, his sole creative talent behind the comic, oh, and there it is. I, I'm sure Jeff Jones is uh, Jeff Jones is just shivering right now, going, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> He's brilliant, by the way. I love him. He's like a hero of mine. He has done so much for DC in the last couple of years. Oh, uh, man, man. Well, um, do you do? I, and I might have asked you this. I've talked to you now so many times, and I I can't remember what we do and what we don't talk about. But uh, November is National Novel Writing Month. Um, do you participate in that, or have you ever done that last, before? Last year, I wrote The Human Experiment. Oh, okay. Uh, a superhero book for that. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't actually participate. I signed up, wrote the book on my own. If we were supposed to turn something in or let them know we finished, I never did. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I wrote a novel during that month just to see if I could do it. Nice. Um, and there, there's actually a screenplay being done for The Human Experiment. Uh, yeah, one of my friends who happens to be a screenwriter, of course, there's no deal on it. It's just for fun. But uh, The Human Experiment is a very, very dark superhero book that has a lot of um, biblical mythology stuff in it. So the screenplay is being called One Foot in Hell, and uh, I think the writer's almost done with it. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. But, um, <clears throat> nice. And don't forget, in December, the maker break point of my career has finally arrived because my first mass market book comes out from Simon & Schuster. Ooh. Uh, War of the Worlds plus Buggets and Zombies. And nice. uh, Simon Schuster has released the cover. You can actually go to their site and download the cover if you want it. And it's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble now. So wow. I hope if you've liked my zombies for the past nine years in December, you'll definitely drop by whatever store in America because I'm sure it'll be everywhere since it's Simon Schuster and snag a copy oh, of War of the World. Congratulations. Thank you. And not only does it have a brilliant freaking new cover, but it has some new material too. We went back and added uh -huh. some scenes and rewrote some stuff. So it's not the original book that came out under Coscom, at least not quite. So Awesome. Should be interesting. So now, I mean, you you are officially now in, like, a whole new league of writers. Yep, yep, yep. You could say I'm a rookie in the mass market world now, as opposed to being a small press veteran. <laughs> You're officially a, a professional now. Yeah, so. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how I feel about that. There's I no still tend back. to think. That's still tend to think of myself as a fan more than a writer. Oh, and that's that's but. the great thing about you. You're you're still you're still so humble about the whole thing and and you're still writing like you said, you know, Bigfoot Wars, you wrote it because it was just so much fun. You couldn't help but write it because it was so Well, cool I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I love Bigfoot. How many Bigfoot movies are there? And have you ever seen a Bigfoot apocalypse tale? Have you ever seen a movie where there's more than one Sasquatch that's throughout the whole movie? Nope. And we really see what those monsters can do. I mean, I had to do that book as a fanboy because, you know, I wanted the Sasquatch Apocalypse. Right. I mean, dang it. <laughs> uh, and that's why it, it's just so wonderful to see that you're doing what you're doing because you like to do it. And you're not, you know, you don't, uh, you're not doing things because you say, oh, well, people are buying my zombie books, so I guess I'm going to turn out some more zombie books because that's what sells or, or something. You're, you're doing it for yourself, first and foremost. First and foremost, yes. That is true. I do it for me. Of course, I am at a point in my career now where, you know, it's kind of the money, too. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not I mean, saying not, that's not part in of terms it. of being greedy, but kind of like, you know, my five-year-old likes to eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And people need to support great artists and, and masters of the craft. And you're definitely one of those. You just, you're so productive and you work so hard that, uh, you know, it, it's just, you ought to have 
everything taken care of, and you ought to be comfortable and in an environment where you can wow. be creative. Those are such right. kind words. I think I would like some of what you're smoking this morning. Oh, hey. <laughs> you can't handle this stuff, man. man. I'm just figuring <laughs> But thank you. Sincerely, thank oh, you. It, man, it's been cool. a long road to Simon & Schuster. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't one of those guys blessed enough to get picked up on the permuted deal. So uh, I was mm-hmm. kind of like Coscom's initial lead-in to uh, Simon & Schuster. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, flattering and honoring. Uh, and Coscom is just an amazing company. They're probably the best people I've ever worked with. They really know what they're doing. Cool. cool. And uh, I don't know if you know or not, but Coscom is now also signed with an L.A. agency that is representing most of their titles for film, television, video games, etc. Wow. So uh, who knows? We we could see a World War of the Dead movie in the future, oh, uh, if the Lord wills it. Um I'm not sure that Nazis, superheroes, and the zombie apocalypse in World War II is everybody's thing, but hey, at least to make for some awesome special effects. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what I was going to ask. I'm like, when are we going to see Eric S. Brown on the big screen? Well, well, Coscom's working on it. We yeah. will see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, because we, we need to visualize some of this stuff, I'm thinking. The world would be I a better mean, place. The Science Fiction Channel, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to rip on them, but Sharktopus, really? <laughs> I mean, you could be making Bigfoot War and you make Sharktopus. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, that was a little ego- egotistical and arrogant, and I apologize. No, there are a lot dude. of great works out there that are better than Sharktopus. Like, I think my cat could write one. But not that by be much. <laughs> not by much. Dude, any of your, anything you've written could be put up on on sci-fi and blow it all away you know <laughs> and blow everything away I've, I've never seen anything at all that has been worth my time on sci-fi like their original their original movies they're just horrible you know what was the one with mr miyagi and the big snake um <laughs> you know it was, it was just come on oh now, uh, you know, I, I, I like some of them, take them with a grain of salt. You know, uh, Sand Serpents, for some reason I enjoyed that, even though they were missing a couple of scenes of the actual serpent sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure that was just a budget thing. <laughs> yeah. But Science Fiction Challenge great, other than the fact that they canceled Stargate Atlantis, uh, Stargate Atlantis. First time mm. to Hades for that for all time, but we won't go there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is the Stargate universe, Jock? Where's my Atlantis? What did you people do? Oh. But, uh, so I'm just, okay. Sorry, if you like Stargate Atlantis, I mean Stargate Universe, <laughs> I apologize. You know, I just built it Stargate Atlantis. Could have went on far past five seasons. But, uh, hey. Oh, <sighs> yeah. So you going to watch The Walking Dead on TV? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could I possibly miss that? Nah, I think I'll pass that one up. Yeah, uh, Robert Kirkman, who needs him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I have extremely high hopes for it, and the trailers and the cast look great, and it's such a brilliant comic book that he yeah. just keeps doing amazing things with. So, yeah, I assure you, I'll, I'll definitely be catching that one. Yeah, me too. I've I've been, it's like, there has been so much hype put out about it. You know, we have a ton of trailers and exclusive clips and photos and, and everything you can imagine. And it's like, well, I don't want to spoil everything before the show actually gets started. You know, so I'd like to be kind of surprised by what I see. So I've been kind of avoiding things. Uh, and uh, so in hopes. I, I Of course, I can't help but see a few things here and there. But, right. you know, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Kind of like me and Green Lantern. 
Yeah. I, I will occasionally <laughs> look at a photo and then go, no, I don't really want to know. And if they screwed it up, it'll hurt me and just, you know, run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just want that. I want the full effect when it gotcha. hits the screen. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, awesome, dude. What else, uh, anything else coming up here that, uh, that you want to talk about? I mean, you got so much going on, and there are still things yet to come out that you're uh, you're working on, but uh, have we yeah, missed anything? Um, Antiheroes with David Dunwoody, the amazing David Ooh, Dunwoody of Empire. Dunwoody. Yes, uh, it should be out sometime from Library of, uh, Library of Living Dead Press's Library of Science Fiction and Fantasy imprint. Nice. I'm not sh- quite sure when Dr. Puss is publishing it, but um, hopefully it'll be end of the year, early next year. And if you like crazy superhero stuff, um, it's the second installment of my character, Agent Death, from the Human Experiment novel. Uh, meeting up with David Dunwoody's Enslaver of Worlds. So you have this little supernatural CIA guy <laughs> and this giant hulking, incredible Hulk-type Cthulhuoid monster. But uh, it, wow. it should be a fun book. Nice. Oh, anything. You and the Dunwoody, it's like double the double the fun. <laughs> Holy cow, you're like multiplying it out. It's uh, awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you. Um and I will say this has been a really hard year for the entire small press. I know the economy's bottom out, but when you're thinking about, you know, the Christmas presents you're going to buy or, you know, just a treat for yourself, keep in mind that, you know, there there are things other than DVDs and toys and stuff. Oh, and uh, yeah. support some writers out there and buy some books. Not just mine, but, you know, there, there are a lot of great writers who uh, could definitely use some support right now, like Stephen North. You know, his uh, sequel to Dead Tide yeah. is finally out, and oh. it is a brilliant, brilliant book. And uh, I know Stephen could use some support with that. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. And, of course, Permuted Press, you know, just pop, pop by Borders and pick up some of their titles because they are a great company, and they deserve some support, too. Oh, and Jacob is the man. Yeah, Jacob is yes. a great, great Absolutely. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, at, you know, Hollywood doesn't need – everyone's money you know and and big the big corporations and the, the big writers and big companies you know you need to support these the, the the independent guys you know even though you well we can barely call you independent now mr simon and schuster but <laughs> you know uh <laughs> but I, i'm saying you know it's writers like you and and the dunwoody and melzer and all these guys that uh that really really deserve the dollars that are coming in for people enjoying their work so yeah before before you you buy the next stephen king or joe hill you know great writers great writers and you should buy their books too but you know think about think the about little guys who are on that borderline and struggling who don't make 38 million dollars a year but are just barely getting by supporting their families exactly so think about those people <laughs> and most of you guys are doing it without constantly you know snorting coke and and drinking cases upon cases of beer you know, so that's true. I have a very normal, boring family life. I'm sure yeah. with a beautiful wife and a five-year-old son and a <laughs> three-pound crazy cat named Zoom. He's trying to kill something in the living room right now. Hey, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's great, Eric. I'm going to put up a bunch of links on my website uh, to where we can find out more about you and buy your books and, and yeah, just uh, find out and what you're and all I'll about. Now, say again. Please, please support Peel Hill Press and pick up a copy of Season and Death because it is my first ever hardcover. And please support me and my insanity 
and support the Sasquatch Apocalypse and keep Bigfoot horror real and not Harry and Anderson's and pick up a copy of Bigfoot War. Yes, absolutely. Eric, thank you. Thank you for joining me again this week. And like I said, anytime at all, you can come on the show. I will even make an effort to respond quicker than I have this time around. Because it's like right. I, was, I was blowing you off almost, which I wasn't, but I think I came across that way. Well, thank you so, so much sorry. for having me on the show. <laughs> Anytime, man. We'll talk to you later. All right. Well, here it is. How long do you think it'll take? It'll take as long as it takes. Hi, Corey. This is Lauren calling in again. Um, just want to say thank you for welcoming to, me to the family. That was very nice. Um, I haven't listened to the last two shows. I've been pretty busy, but um, throw on my iPod and I'm going to get right on that. Um, just calling in to say that I, myself, I, like you, I'm in the middle of making a movie, but um, just wondering if you considered making music videos for your original music. It's I've made a few music videos myself, and it's a lot of fun because you can do weird, crazy images and get to play around with fun angles. And I don't know if you've given that thought, but if you haven't, there you go. Um, I also had a recommendation for anyone who listens or watched Fly the Concords when they were on HBO. Sadly, their show got canceled but their music is still great. Um, Jermaine Clement, who is in Fly the Concords, um, he was in a movie, don't know how recent it was, but whatever, called Eagles vs. Sharks. Um, it's a New Zealand movie, and it's a romantic comedy. But um, it, I would compare it to Napoleon Dynamite because a lot of humor is in awkward situations and whatnot. I go into more detail about it, but I am currently um, working on a music video myself right now, and I'm going to go get back to that. So um, looking forward to hearing the last two shows I missed. All right, that's it from me. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, Lauren. Uh, good to hear from you again. Thank you for calling. Um, yeah, music videos, I have thought about it. Um, I made that one for uh, Blood Comes From Your Throat, and uh, that was pretty cool. I wasn't, you know, that was just kind of a fun thing. I wasn't even real serious about it. Um, I would love to make more of a, kind of a music video that tells a story uh, during the song, which I, I, you know, I think would be really, really great. But uh, every time I play these songs and I, I write these songs, I always have some kind of story going through my head for visually what I would be seeing while this song was playing. And uh, a lot of them are really, really crazy, especially your face. I, I have... I have some great ideas uh, for a music video for your face. Um, that song, that song, your face. Um, but uh, again, it's just getting it together. You know, I'm trying to finish my short film right now, which is a, a beast in and of itself. I mean, there's a lot to do yet, and there's a lot of work. You know, I, I'm really, really gaining so much more respect. I mean, I had a lot before, but I'm gaining so much more respect for filmmakers people that uh, go out there and make movies it is a ton of work and this isn't even much this is this is just a little short film that i'm throwing together oh, oh wow so thank you <laughs> good to hear from you lauren thank you again for calling k to the i to the l to the l we'll kill ya we'll thrill ya 
we'll leave your team in pain. And when we drag you across the court, you'll leave a greasy stain. We'll put you six feet under, we'll make you cry and zip. We'll give you rigor mortis and keep you hard and stiff. We'll beat you, we'll eat you, you'll make a tasty snack. And if you think you'll get away, you must be high on crack. <laughs> Well, in my little Netflix segment here, where I talk about what you should watch on uh, the Netflix Instant Watch, um, uh, I'm going to talk about three movies. And I mentioned a couple of them earlier here in the old podcast. But uh, these are three movies that uh, I think you should give a shot on Netflix. Uh, most people either love them or hate them. Um, but they are worth seeing. Uh, each for their own specific reasons. Um, first of all, the best one, the top of the list here that I got for you, is Dead Snow. Now, uh, I, I've reviewed all of these before, so I'm not going to go into a formal review of these. Uh, Dead Snow, it gave me such a like an 80s horror kind of feel, like a Sam Raimi uh, kind of thing. And it was an homage, uh, in part, to Sam Raimi and the Evil Dead. Uh, that's been acknowledged. But uh, this is a great film, Nazi Zombies... Uh, in the wintertime, in the snow, it, it's a fantastic film. So Dead Snow is on Netflix Instant Watch. So go watch it. Now the next one, I mentioned this one at the beginning of the show. It's Zombieland. Uh, it came up on Instant Watch on Netflix very quickly. Uh, you know, the, the thing about uh, especially horror films on Netflix Instant is that uh, there isn't a huge, huge selection. Uh, they have a lot of obscure things, a lot of low budget and a lot of B-movies. But uh, as far as the bigger budget horror films, uh, they're, they're much slower getting these into your instant watch. Um, so I was surprised, like I said, to see Zombieland come up so quick. Um, this is a movie that, you know, I was kind of lukewarm about. Yeah, it was an enjoyable watch. But uh, overall, you know, I wasn't gushing at all about this thing. So many people were. So many people thought this was the greatest thing in the world. And um, I was just very underwhelmed by it. Um, however, there are some very good things about it. Uh, the cameo. Of course, everybody talks about that. Uh, especially the thing after the credits. Um, the first opening sequence of the film where they, where they uh, play For Whom the Bell Tolls. I mean, that's, that's classic. Uh, the, some of the rules are pretty cool, and a lot of things that happen in the movie are cool, but overall, as a movie, I didn't think it was all that great. Um, but uh, yeah, it is worth watching at least once. So yeah, give it a shot. Now this final one on Netflix, Instant Watch, that perhaps you will be very surprised that I'm adding to this list at all, is another one that I mentioned at the beginning of the film, and that is George Romero's latest effort, Survival of the Dead. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, and the, the only reason, go through this movie, watch it once, because there is some great photography, some great cinematography. But I'll tell you what, whenever you see, uh, especially the CG work, when you see uh, the old zombie riding a horse, <laughs> playing cowboy, um, it, when you see just incredibly bad uh, dialogue and uh, some heavy-handedness, uh, you're just going to really uh, not like this movie at all, but... There are some good things about it. There are some cool zombie scenes, and some of the zombies look cool. So it's worth seeing for that. Give Survival of the Dead one watch, and then forget about it forever. <laughs> Just to say that you saw it. You know, if you're like me, you want to say that you've seen everything that Romero's done. And, you know, so, yeah. 
But uh, there you go. Dead Snow, especially see Zombieland, give it a watch, and Survival of the Dead, give it a watch. Maybe when you're drunk. All right. Fish and science creates an electronic monster so terrifying, only screams can describe it. Come back home. Come back home. According to the evidence, Hennessy was murdered by a creature with atom rays of superhuman strength and a creature that cannot be killed by bullets. I said I would live to see you die. <clears throat> I just came from the bureau and checked the murderer's fingerprints. His name is Willard Pierce. They let me have it from the files. Petty theft, fraud, three months in prison, tuberculosis. How could a tubercular man have strength enough to break those bars like that? You think that's something? Answer this one. How could a dead man have strength enough to do it? Fantastic, but based on scientific fact. Please, how low do you fly? You will stop all planes and trucks searching for radioactivity. If you do not, many people will be killed. There will be no other warning. Hello, hello, hello. They hung up before I could put a tracer on it. Slow down, Dave. Dave, did they? No. Go out and kill him. Creature with the Atom Brain from 1955. Oh, we're in the middle of the space age, the atomic age here, directed by Edward L. Kahn. And this one was tougher for me to find. I eventually got my hands on it, but I had to do a lot of searching. Uh, kind of obscure. Now, like I said, in the middle of the 50s, we got a sci-fi horror crime kind of movie here. What happens is there's this gangster who is funding an ex-Nazi scientist who has perfected bringing dead bodies back to life and being able to control them remotely. Uh, so uh, this is all done somehow through nuclear energy. Uh, so they send out their zombies to get revenge on the people who have wronged the gangster. So that's why the gangsters hired this guy. So they stand there in their secret laboratory and they watch this monitor and the monitor shows them exactly what the zombie is seeing. It's like there's a camera in the zombie's eyes. And they got this microphone and they speak commands into the microphone and the zombie can hear them and it has to obey their voice. The zombie goes in and kills people. It, and the zombie can't be killed. They try shooting it and killing all these zombies to no avail. They can't be killed. The zombies it, it can only do whatever is commanded of them. So it's up to the police and it's up to their scientists to kind of put all these pieces together to solve the mystery of why the dead men are walking around and killing these specific people, like the district attorney and, and things like that. So yeah, this, for me, uh, is a very fun movie. Uh, it has that atomic age feel to it. 
you know, lots of science, <laughs> lots of it. They really geek out in a lot of scenes. You know, they explain all these scientific theories in a lot of detail. And also there, there's the whole nuclear thing then uh, radioactivity and the weirdness behind that. And we're in a very paranoid age about science right now. A lot of discoveries being made, a lot of things, a lot of advances in uh, atomic energy. And so this is the response. These kind of movies are responding to those fears and apprehensions about all this science going on, all this advancement. But, uh, you know, I, I just love this age, you know. We got the black and white. It's 1950s B-horror and sci-fi. Um, this is the kind of thing that, uh, you, you know, your parents would have seen at the drive-in, you know, if you're around my age or younger, or perhaps you, you know, the wiser, more aged generation. <laughs> Maybe you yourself have seen this in the drive-in, and I am envious of you for that, because this would be the, the perfect venue for this kind of film. And, you know, you get a couple scenes where they use stock footage. That was just something they did back then. Used a lot of stock footage of helicopters and army things going on and switchboards and a lot of important things happening. So, yeah, yeah. But that's okay. The, the, the stock actually works well into this movie. You almost can't tell at all that it's stock footage. But, you know, there is lots of dialogue, and that's what we had during this age of films. You know, horror films were much more dialogue-driven and uh, much more character-driven, and that's, that's what we have here. There are long scenes of dialogue, but a lot of that, again, is because they just geek out on the science, man. You, got, you get a big science lesson in this movie. And you gotta love the radio-controlled zombies. You know, it's like, uh, you know, the, the steering a little remote-control car or something. <laughs> you know, you see exactly what they see. You just tell them what you want to do in the microphone, and it all happens. And they try to explain it away with all this atomic talk and things, but to me it made no sense. But that's the fun of it. That's the crazy science thing going on in this age. It's awesome, it's awesome. And let me talk about the significance of this movie in horror altogether. Uh, across the board, this is one of the first movies where they use squibs for the gunshot wounds. So they're shooting the zombies, trying to take the zombies out, and of course the zombies aren't falling, the zombies keep walking at you, even if you shoot them, and you see in their body the little squibs, little blood packs that they put kind of under your shirt that are uh, in some way explosive. There are a lot of different ways of doing this, but you, you basically burst the blood pack, and uh, that's what makes the little looks like a gunshot wound. And uh, so they were one of the first to do that. And that's significant. That's still being used to this day in all kinds of things. It has been used extensively, to say the least, in uh, horror and, and other genres as well. So yeah, this is one of the pioneers of the squib. So yeah, we'll see a lot of that in upcoming zombie movies. So I'm going to rate this film very high. Because to me, this is just, this is fun. This was a lot of fun. I'm going to give The Creature with the Atomic Brain, or I'm sorry, The Creature with the Atom Brain, <laughs> a 7 out of 10. That's a, that's a high rating. That's a high rating. Despite the fact that um, it's a weird title. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, of course it has an atom brain. Everything is made of atoms, you know. And I, I don't know. Didn't get it. Great movie, though. So if you can find it, go watch it. Everyone, do you see this? This was a man, an individual. Now it is nothing but a mindless drone. 
a walking sack of flesh that is worth nothing. But he, it, has survived because it can still consume to keep itself going. And it has the power, the need to keep going. Now we can do what he has done, survive, only we will do it better. We will take our skills from before and their skills from now to make a better world. As you may know, I spent uh, Saturday, all day this past Saturday, at the Erie Horror Film Festival. Now, uh, it went on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but Saturday was the only day that I had an opportunity to go there. So I spent as much time there as I possibly could. And I'll tell you what, I love this festival. I love going down to the Warner Theater in downtown Erie. It's an absolutely wonderful venue. And uh, man, man, I watched a lot of films and <laughs> I watched eight hours worth of films, actually. And uh, I still got to talk to a lot of people. It was fantastic. So there I go, waltzing in first thing in the morning on Saturday. And the first person I talked to who is at his table is Frank Sorrell. Frank Sorrell played the gray suit zombie in the original Dawn of the Dead. And uh, he is just a really, really nice guy. I've talked to him a couple times before. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't seem really in the mood to talk. He said his breakfast was not agreeing with him. And he just looked very, very uncomfortable. So I moved on and talked to David Crawford. David Crawford, of course, like I've said before, played Dr. Foster in the original Dawn of the Dead. He said some of my favorite lines from that film. And he is just an all-around really, really great guy. So I talked to him for a while. Uh, we talked about his Poe stage production that he's doing. And uh, also talked about uh, the Warner Theater and a little bit of history there. And uh, he talked about how much he admired my voice. Which was very, very cool that Dr. Foster, okay, David Crawford, Dr. Foster, said that uh, I have a nice voice. And a really great voice, actually. He really liked it, he said. So... That was very flattering, but nice, nice guy, nice guy. Uh, also got to talk to the president of the festival, Greg Ropp. He and his family and the people that are involved in this just do a great, great job at putting this thing on. It's fantastic. Uh, so I got to talk to him for a little while. Um, the artist, Joel Robinson. Uh, if you've been to conventions in this part of the United States, you've probably seen Joel Robinson. Uh, he is a fantastic artist. I have his Friday the 13th. Uh, drawings, all 12 Jasons, uh, right up on my wall. And now, right next to it, he did the official poster for the festival this year. And it's awesome, as you could imagine. Uh, I just love his style. And, uh, man, so it looks great. Great, right beside my Friday the 13th one now. So, yeah, Joel Robinson, uh, fantastic guy. Um, next, I'll tell you what. You know, I, I told you I was real disappointed that Joe Pilato wasn't going to be there. 
And uh, But uh, the only other person that I was real interested in talking to and meeting for the first time was Gary Clark, who played Steel on Dawn of the Dead, or not Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead from 85. And uh, I'll tell you what, Gary Clark is a fantastic human being. He is an absolutely wonderful guy. He is a great, great, very articulate man. Uh, he's an actor. I asked him, I'm like, well, how does it feel to be, you know, one of the guys from Day of the Dead that everybody hates? And uh, he said, hey, it's just acting. He's like, you know, I get into the role and I, I figure out what kind of person this would be. And then if I were that kind of person, how would I act? And he's just like, that's what I do. I, I do my job. And, uh, you know, that that was that. And, uh, man, just a wonderful guy. Uh, he actually, we talked a lot, actually, about Autopsy of the Dead. Um, and uh, how, you know, there, I was uh, kind of uh, supporting Autopsy of the Dead. It's the, the film about Night of the Living Dead with all the really cool interviews. And um, so Gary was so happy that I was uh, supporting that that uh, he really hooked me up pretty nice. So Gary Clark is a fantastic guy. And uh, if he comes around to your part of the world then you should definitely meet him. Fantastic. I talked to him, actually, for, for a long time. Now, uh, as I was sitting in and watching films, you know, they have breaks in the films, and uh, sometimes they do things during those breaks, and during the one break, they did the awards ceremony for best film and best this and best that. And one of the presenters was Brian O'Halloran. Now, you know, he was the guy that... Uh, you know, was at the top of the list of guests this year, and uh, of course, you know, he's been involved in a lot of a lot of films, Clerks, Clerks Two, and Mallrats, and uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of those kind of movies. And uh, you know, he is a really nice guy. And I'll tell you what, his presentation during the awards was <laughs> really funny. And I took some video of it on my little camera, and uh, I've been thinking of posting that to YouTube or something. But I just want to uh, make sure I have permission to do so. But uh, anyhow, it was really, really great. So right after the awards and I, I saw that batch of movies, I went up to Brian's table and I, I met him and everything. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I said last week that I didn't really care to meet him, blah, 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 blah. But I'm glad I did. I am really glad I did. Um, I feel really bad about saying that I did not care about Brian O'Halloran. Um, he is a great guy, and uh, we got into talking about movies and about hockey. You know, he's a big New York Rangers fan, which I was really sad to see, and he kind of took a, a jab at uh, Penguins fans, which, uh, you know, was really kind of funny. So that's on that video. I'm going to have to see about posting that. But yeah, yeah, so Brian O'Halloran is, is a fantastic guy, too. I had a lot of fun talking to him. He's really, really nice. Now, like I said, I watched eight hours of independent horror films, and I'm going to tell you about every film that I saw, what I thought of it, and um, how maybe you can see it. Uh, there are websites for all of these. I'm going to put links up for all of these films in the show notes, and you need to go check them out. Uh, because, yeah, I was very, very impressed by what I saw during the day on Saturday. I started first thing. They started showing films at 1130, and I went clear up until um, like 9 o'clock or whatever it was. And then I needed to get home uh, for for other reasons. So there were a few short films to start out the day first thing in the morning. The first one was called Attackazoids Deploy. And you can actually watch this one online. Uh, I'll put up a link to uh, the Vimeo page where you can watch this whole thing. Um, it's only four minutes long. Written and directed by Brian Leneno. 
or Lanano, Lonano. I, I'm sorry, I have no idea. And uh, also directed by Jeff Jenkins. And um, the synopsis for this one is War is declared on the off world settlement. Everyone from suburban homemakers to super scientists are uniting to deploy an army of the giant killer robot attackazoids. And uh, this one was really fun. It's like a propaganda style short film. Um, kind of uh, a lot of the stuff that I saw in uh, Starship Troopers, you know, that kind of, you know, be a good citizen. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. You can watch that one, Attackazoids Deploy. The next short was about nine minutes long, and it's called Arthur, directed by Laura Jean Cronin. And the synopsis is, fearing that his mother's accomplices plan to double-cross her following a recent heist, young Arthur Matthews must ensure her safety by any means necessary. And this was a cool little story with a nice little twist at the end, and uh, they kind of weaved in this whole, or weaved, wove, wove in... <laughs> <laughs> the whole uh, King Arthur story and imagery from that, and it told a nice little crazy little tale. So Arthur was really, really good. Uh, the next one, it was a little bit longer, but it was still, I would think, considered a short, 35 minutes long, called The Curse of Micah Rood. This was directed by Alec Astin, and um, it's based on an old legend from Norwich, Connecticut. Um, the, the movie synopsis reads that Micah Rood cherishes his privacy and his precious apple orchard. When a wily peddler stays the night, Rood accuses him of stealing his apples and commits a violent deed that soon taints the fruit of his orchard with the blood of guilt. And uh, this kind of weaves in, this, this story apparently weaves in with a bit of truth, and uh, it is kind of an actual uh, legend. And so it is kind of cool. It's a cool little, almost Lovecraftian kind of story. It's kind of in, uh, you know, a, a turn-of-the-century kind of style. Looks really, really cool. So, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed The Curse of Micah Rood. Now, the next movie was the first feature-length film of the day. It was called They Came From the Attic, uh, directed by Jason Mills, and this is a Canadian film. When an accidental death takes the life of a young boy, the family moves to a country home for a fresh start, only to discover there is something much worse than their memories and guilt living in the attic. Um, so this was, a, a, I think, a, a pretty good film. We had some light CG, you know, uh, especially the creatures. Um, the acting was okay. Um, but the creatures themselves, I thought, were really, really cool, and they, they really made the movie for me. Um, there were these things that apparently lived in the attic and just came out and attacked people and ate them. And uh, they had uh, these weird faces and they, they moved all, all weird. It, it was just really, really cool. I enjoyed it. It went really fast. But uh, I, I just expected, I think, it more to uh, focus on the attic, being that they came from the attic. Uh, they don't tell you what was in the attic uh, that they came from. Uh, did they just kind of live there? Uh, was there a portal to a weird dimension where these creatures lived? You don't know, and you barely see the attic at all. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyhow, uh, the fun movie, fun movie. The next movie was called Find Her, and uh, this is uh, this was interesting. The first subtitled one of the day, this is actually Israeli, directed by Gal Ziv. Uh, I'm sure I pronounced that. Or, or, yeah, I'm sure I pronounce. I'm sure I mispronounce that. Of course, 
Um, this one was about 19 minutes long, and I found this one really interesting. Uh, the synopsis says, Kobe takes his and his girlfriend's dog, Ricky, to participate in an illegal dog fight. After Ricky wins the fight, Kobe gets into a disagreement with the fight's organizers, and Ricky ends up running away. Soon enough, someone calls and claims to have found Ricky, but then another mysterious phone call turns everything around. Now this one I really, really enjoyed. Um, I, I, I liked the way it was shot, I liked the look of it, it had a very, very film look to it, um, and the storytelling I found extremely creative. Um, it all worked in with the great cinematography and the great editing, but uh, the story is told in a, in a very non-linear way. It's all kind of out of order. You, you have to kind of think about it and figure it out, and it was very engaging, very fun. Uh, like I said, I like stuff you got to think about, and you got to figure it out, and this was absolutely fantastic. That was called Find Her. And another really, really cool short that came right after that was called Patient, directed by Dan Clements. This one was about 15 minutes long. This is another one out of Canada, and this one was absolutely outstanding. Great effects. We have a great, great bunch of twists, a uh, great plot, very captivating, very startling and gripping. Um, possibly, actually probably, my favorite film of all day Saturday. Uh, this is a great, great short. Here, here's the synopsis. Um, a man and a woman meet at a coffee shop for the first time. As if on an awkward date, they exchanged timid pleasantries. However, as their conversation unfolds, the horrifying truth behind their meeting is revealed. And it is truly horrific. <laughs> oh, yeah, this was so well made. It was extremely professional. It was uh, a film look. They did. They actually made it on film, and they made a point of uh, bringing that to light um, in the credits. And uh, it's just fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. I loved it. That's called Patient. Um, next up was another short, 13 minutes long, called One Track Mind, directed by Joe LaRocca. And this was a cool little story, too, and, and it kind of left you hanging, and you kind of had to think about it a little bit. But uh, the synopsis says, Darkness has consumed a small New England town after the disappearance of 17-year-old Emma Buxton. Commuter Tim Stowe falls deeper into paranoia after witnessing a disturbing incident along the tracks. With no other options, Tim takes it upon himself to answer the burning question, What happened to Emma Buxton? Ooh, yes. And this one is kind of spooky and it's kind of weird and you got again, you got to kind of figure it out. There's a big jump at the end and it's really, really cool. Now, this is the next feature length film of the day and it was a zombie movie. And <laughs> to be honest with you, I had no idea that this was going to be a zombie movie. I had no idea what the movie was going to be about. I just knew it was a feature length movie. Um, and uh, I was actually about to go into that block of films and I had to, I had to pee. I had to, I had to go to the bathroom. So I go into the bathroom, and above the urinal, somebody put a, um, a flyer on the wall about this movie, and it talked about being a zombie movie. And I was like, "Oh boy!" And so I was really excited uh, to go uh, to, you know, watch this. Now, it was called Deep River: The Island, uh, directed by Ben Bekelder. Bachelder, Bachelder. I don't, I don't know. I'm mispronouncing everybody's name today. Here's the synopsis of it before I tell you about it. Uh, five friends reunite one year after graduating high school. They become trapped on an island next to a town overrun with the undead. 
While fighting to survive, they find that they are not exactly the people they knew in high school. So yeah, this uh, this movie, uh, it was good, but uh, you know nothing new. It was obviously it was one of the you know it was a low budget, fun movie with CG blood and CG gore a lot of the times. The acting wasn't great, but you know you could tell that it was just a group of friends getting together to make a zombie movie. Um, and uh, here's what I think was missing from it: the biggest thing, you know, and, and it's part of the thing of why part of the reason why zombie movies are so captivating a lot of times you know it didn't really deal with the psychological reaction to actually seeing dead people walking around again i mean i i think that that sight would be such a shock to your system that most people wouldn't even be able to help but go and lose their mind completely you know it's like it's like this all of a sudden the universe is dividing by zero it's not possible but it's happening right before your eyes and that's what it is. How do you deal with that? How does a, a person deal with something like that? And uh, there was none of that. It, it was uh, this movie took place in a very, very kind of zombie-aware universe. You know, they they reference some of the films. They say, "Oh, zombies!" Like in this movie, like in that movie. So they already knew about zombies. They knew how to deal with zombies, and uh, so that whole thing was never explored at all. So, you know, it was all right. Like I said, a lot of CG and the acting wasn't great, but, uh, you know, it was kind of fun. A lot of plot holes and things, but uh, a fun movie overall. I guess the uh, the director and a lot of the cast and crew were there. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk with them, but uh, it was it, it was all right. Now, in the next set of films, uh, we open up with a, a, a one short called Bottles, and I kind of... Uh, I, I went in on this uh, a minute or so late. Uh, I was kind of running behind, and so I missed uh, the first little piece of this, and I wish I would have seen the beginning because it was really, really good. It was called Bottles, directed by John Stout. Uh, it was about 20 minutes long, and uh, this was really cool. It was very original. Um, the, uh, the synopsis says Mira has a dark secret. When she gets angry, objects move and people get hurt. One day, she discovers disturbing items in her daughter's antique bottle collection and is frightened by what she finds. You have to be careful about what you collect. And this was really, really cool, and it was very eerie and chilling. Um, this girl collected, I guess, people's spirit in these antique bottles and kind of kept them around. Uh, and She could also do this with animals and things, and it's really, really creepy. That was really, really cool, and I wish I could have seen the very beginning of it. But uh, I, I, overall, it was it was great. Now, this is the third feature-length film that I saw that day, and it was called Ghosts Don't Exist. Obviously, this is going to be a ghost movie. This is directed by Eric Espejo. I, I think Espejo, I, I, I don't know. I'm mispronouncing that name, too. Um, and this was really well done. Uh, here's the synopsis. A popular ghost hunter losing faith in what he believes is about to retire. But he decides to take one last case when a potential client guarantees he'll provide the proof he's been looking for. Upon arriving at the home, the client announces that he will make good on the promise by contacting them himself from beyond, then shoots himself in front of them. Yeah, this is a crazy movie. Um, and I was getting really into it. I was getting really, really into this and really captivated. Then all of a sudden, this group of young idiot retards... Moves into the front two rows. I'm clear in the back. I'm in one of the back rows. And these idiot kids sit in the two rows in front of me and talk 
the whole rest of the movie. So about for the last half of the movie, these idiot kids were talking, laughing. The one girl was getting up and down the whole time, kept going in and out of the theater. I'm sure she was going into the bathroom to snort coke and do God knows what to people. <laughs> oh, man. I was so upset and I, oh. I, you would have been proud of me. After the lights went up, after the movie was done, I didn't say anything. I went out. Yeah, I was really mad, though. They disrupted my whole experience. And don't get me wrong, it's fun to go into the theater and, you know, make people mad and annoy people and stuff like that. But you know what? I was getting into this movie, and you ruined it for me. You ruined it for me. Retards. Retards. Yeah, that's all I have to say. But Ghosts Don't Exist... Yeah, pretty good movie, but it was kind of ruined for me by them. Um, next up, um, the last block of films that I saw, I was really looking forward to these. The first one actually was a film directed by Greg Nicotero, and it was made by KNB Effects called United Monster Talent Agency. And uh, this is a, a nine-minute short, black and white, 1950s style, uh, actually early, even earlier than that, classic monster style. Um, here's the synopsis. Movie Tone News discovers the creatures in those classic 1950s monster movies are all real and represented by a Hollywood talent agency that also develops new monsters and creatures as inspiration for future films. And as you can tell by that, this one was a lot of fun. Really, really cool. Um, definitely a lot of, lot of humor. And uh, yeah, absolutely wonderful. But that was United Monster Talent Agency, uh, Greg Nicotero. The next short was a lot of fun also. It was called Tinglewood, but this one was fun for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Tinglewood. Uh, uh, yeah, very interesting. It's actually the name of a, a town, I think. Um, it's directed by Alexander Von Hoffman, uh, about 18 minutes long, and this was actually Australian. Um, the synopsis here is, Tension between Sam and his father inspires a long overdue family outing deep into the Tinglewood forest. As darkness falls, the camping trip enters dangerous territory when they are attacked by an unseen enemy. Sam is forced to overcome his differences and step up to protect those closest to him. Now this was a great scary little film, you know. I mean, we had CG monsters, but it, it actually worked out just fine. It was all within the spirit of the movie. Uh, this is one I think that kids would find scary, I would think, because it kind of plays on that fear of the darkness of the woods and what's lurking in there. Great, great film. A lot of fun, violent, and uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely cool. Now, the last two films are zombie films. We have a short one before we have the feature-length one. Uh, the short one was only 10 minutes long. It was called Cabine of the Dead. Now, this was a French film... It is subtitled, but that's all right, directed by Vincent Templemont, um, which I probably mispronounced also because I can't speak French and I have no idea. Uh, the synopsis for this is Patrick, an ordinary man about 30 years old, gets stuck in a phone booth the night when the dead return to life. While struggling with zombies, he decides to call his close relations and ask them for help. This this one was great. This one was absolutely great. One of my favorites, again, of the day. It was scary, and it was kind of fun and ironic, and the zombies looked really cool. You know, he's trapped in his phone booth. He's surrounded by these zombies, and he sees them inches from him. And uh, the story goes somewhere, and uh, there's humor in there. And, oh, yeah, yeah, great. You know, the French, that's two for two. 
for French zombie films as of late. You know, we, we talked about The Horde last week. Awesome. And now Cabine of the Dead. Absolutely awesome. So, yeah, go French. Go French. <laughs> and the last movie of the day was a feature film, zombie film nonetheless. So, of course, I had high hopes for this one. It was called Danger, Zombies, Run. Yeah, uh, wow, wow. This is directed by Brian Weimer. Let me give you the synopsis. Real zombies attack a movie crew filming a low-budget zombie movie. While actor zombies chew on the scenery, the real zombies start to chew on the actors. The instinct is to run, but what's really gnawing on you can't be outrun. <laughs> okay, there's the synopsis. And let me tell you this right now, that doesn't even begin to describe this movie. I, I don't even know what to say. Um, <laughs> it was not what I expected. Um, this had the flavor of uh, a trauma. Um, it had a little bit almost of uh, children shouldn't play with dead things, kind of. Uh, wow, wow. It was very, there was a lot of humor in it and a lot of things that didn't make any sense. Um, there was a guy, <laughs> the guy who's directing the movie in a movie. So, you know, it's a movie in a movie. And I think it was called like zombie bikini apocalypse part three that they, <laughs> they were making. The director of the movie was in a wheelchair. And I, I, I swear that they were making fun of Franklin from, uh, Friday the 13th. Which one was that? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, not Franklin. Franklin was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy in a wheelchair. What was the name of the guy in Friday the 13th? Who was in the wheelchair? Um, but uh, I think he was maybe in that in the 3D one in part three. But uh, anyhow, I swear that they were making fun of Franklin from Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the 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 invalid from uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, this I, I laughed out loud a lot of times. Other times I'm just like, what is going on here? Uh, wow, wow, it's just. <laughs> insane. Overall, I liked it. Overall, I had a good time. Apparently, it's won a lot of recognition and awards and things in other festivals. So, man, this was a trip. So, there you go. That's what I watched at the Erie Horror Film Festival. I've been talking very long now about this, but I just wanted to go over everything. Uh, overall, I was very impressed by the films. I was very impressed by the people. And I had a great time. I cannot wait till next year. Cannot wait till next year. Thanks to Greg Ropp and everyone who did such a great job. And uh, yeah, I'll put links up to all of these films, to the Erie Horror Film Festival and everything up in my show notes. You're going to want to go check all these out. Hey, Corey. It's me, Tom Burdinsky, the writer, director, producer of the Italian zombie movie. I hope all is well. Man, where do I start? First off, hey, I got to thank you for making Midnight Corey the official podcast of the Italian zombie movie. I love, love seeing that uh, little logo you put together on your website. That was totally awesome, man. But hey, let's do some contests with uh, my DVDs and stuff for prizes or something. You know, I mean, I got DVDs, T-shirts, stuff like that I can donate. Just uh, drop me an email and let's, uh, let's figure something out. I'd love to, uh, love to give some out to your listeners. Um, also, it was absolutely, totally great seeing you at Cinema Wasteland. I mean, how long did we just stand there in front of my vendor table and talk? about, like, zombie movies and every other crazy thing under the sun. I mean, what was it, like, 90 minutes, something like that? And how many DVD sales did I lose while I'm standing there talking to you instead of all these potential customers? Dude, the way I see it, you owe me something. But uh, I'm totally kidding. Anyway, it was, it was great seeing you. I wish we could hang out a lot more. 
Um, it's, it's just always fun. We just always have so much fun talking. And finally, being introduced to the legendary Root Rat. Oh, that was awesome. What a great guy he is. I mean, you know, I've heard him on your show, and I've heard him, you know, on other things and stuff. And he, he's, he's a lot of fun. He's very entertaining. But in person, he is just twice as outrageous and funny. I mean, it was just great talking to him. Great seeing Misfit Boy again, uh, the king of the hookups, I guess we should call him. He uh, hooked me up with some amazing, uh, rare Japanese science fiction series that I've been looking for forever. I don't know how this guy does it. I don't want to know. I'm just glad he does. Uh, meeting Big Ugly Harry Scary was great. Nice guy. Um, seriously, I, I wish we all like lived within like you know two blocks of each other so we could hang out all the time. It was just that much fun. Um, what else was I going to mention? Oh, yeah, Joe Pilato. Yeah, I understand you're uh, a little sad about him canceling his appearance at that uh, Erie convention you were going to go to. Well, dude, don't be. Joe Pilato is crazy. I mean, seriously crazy. Not not funny crazy. I mean, he is cuckoo. He practically assaulted me at the Famous Monsters convention for making an Italian zombie movie and not casting him in it. And I, I mean, I kind of thought he was, you know, joking, but I'm, I'm not really sure because, like, the whole con, the whole weekend long, every time he saw me, he would yell at me and just scream at me. It's like, how can you make an Italian zombie movie and not cast Joe Pilato? Don't you know who I am? And just go on and on. And he'd start speaking Italian and all this stuff. I, I will say this for him, though. As crazy as he is, he is every bit as intense as he was in Day of the Dead in real life. I mean, he is one intense guy. So I, I guess the experience of meeting him, okay, but uh, he's crazy. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Um, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Brian, uh, Mr. Beer Review Kaufman, for uh, mentioning my Italian zombie movies a few episodes ago. I really appreciate that. And I'm so glad he got some laughs out of them. Um, I keep hearing him and other people use this word to describe my movies. They keep saying they're fun. And um, I think that's that's probably what they are. Um, you know, if that's what you're looking for in a horror movie, then I think that's that's what I offer. And uh, after hearing Brian interviewed, too, I am totally sold on his Dead Beyond the Fence book. I have been meaning to order it for a long time, and darn it, I just did, so I can't wait to get it. And uh, yeah, who knows, maybe he'll let me bring it to the big screen. You never know. Um, speaking of books, I did read your book, Dark Horror Anthology, and thoroughly enjoyed it. But, Corey, I have to say, you are a really sick man. That was one sick subplot for a zombie story. Uh, Well-written, you know, well-paced, but dude, <laughs> so freaking sick. Anyway, um, don't want to give any of it away, but I do hope your listeners check it out. It's well worth the price. It's a good read. There's a great variety of stories in there, some authors you'll recognize. And, uh, you know, Corey's is, is definitely, I think, the darkest, sickest story in there, but that's just me. Uh, anyway, um, speaking of your, uh, uh, I guess not speaking of your last episode, but I want to mention your last episode with uh, Big Ugly Harry Scary's review of Bloodsuckers from Outer Space. Really enjoyed that. I also picked it up at Cinema Wasteland, and I think his review was spot on. Uh, I, I think he's a real good reviewer. I, I can see where I'd like to listen to more and catch more of his, uh, his uh, insights into movies and so on. And um, it's just one last thing I wanted to mention concerning your one-man movie. Dude, I am so impressed that you are doing this. I mean, I've heard your music that you've written. I've seen your video shorts. I've read your stories now. So I know you have all the tools to make this happen. But speaking of tools, just, just one favor, Corey, all right? No nudity in your one-man movie, okay? I mean, we don't want to see your tool. I just want you to know that. Your wife may want to see it. 
I don't think anybody out here in Midnight Quarter Lane wants to see your tool. So, you know, make it gory, make it scary, make it funny, but leave the nudity out. You know, do that for us. All right? Have a good one, Corey. Hope to see you at the next Cinema Wasteland if not sooner. Take care. Bye-bye. There he is, one of my favorite people in the world, Tom Burdinsky, the Italian zombie movie. It was great hanging out with you. I, I could I could have spent the entire day, the entire weekend, just hanging out with you. And uh, that's what I was thinking myself. I probably scared away a lot of business. And uh, I owe you my deepest apologies. But I am totally up for the contest. Uh, I think we should definitely do a contest. I'll... Uh, I'll contact you about that we'll uh, figure out something um but yeah everybody was great at uh, at cinema wasteland you know like you said root rot misfit boy and eric big ugly hairy scary uh yeah that was a great time i hope we can do that again soon um now as far as joe Pilato, joe Pilato is crazy and i've known this for a while because i've seen some of the video stuff that he's put out <laughs> here lately in the past couple years and he is nuts he's absolutely nuts i think he is literally no different from, uh, you know, Captain Rhodes. And uh, <laughs> so I don't think he's, like, you know, killed people or gone completely bonkers. But, uh, yeah, Joe Pilato. But I'll tell you what. What did make up for the uh, the absence of Joe Pilato was how awesome Gary Clark was. Steel from Day of the Dead. Gary Clark is the man. And uh, I know I've talked all about that uh, earlier on. But, uh Thank you for the for the kind words about everything. You know, my story in Dark, that was a fun one to write. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as the the uh, the thing about my movie, uh, my one-man movie about uh, no nudity, um, you know, for a while there, I thought that maybe that was the only chance at all I had of making a film that people would watch if there was nudity in it. But being that it's a one-man film, yeah, yeah, no nudity. No nudity. That's just weird to edit things together of myself naked. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would be really surreal. I don't know. But, um, yeah, and I, I don't have a lens powerful enough to accentuate myself in the way that would be needed. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Tom, you're the man. Thanks for calling, brother. Nixon, you know what your problem is? No. Nah. Why don't you tell me what my problem is? I will tell you what your problem is. Just as soon as we smoke this fatty. Uh, this week I'm covering a song for you that takes me back to one of uh, my, my favorite times of my life, which was the, uh, the 90s. Oh man, that's a time when I was really starting to get into music. Uh, I'd started playing, uh, taught myself to play bass and then other things, and I was in a lot of bands and really listening to a lot of music of the time. The whole grunge thing was happening, and then it actually abruptly ended as the 90s came to a close. And uh, But man, there was some great music during that time. And I, I, was, I was in college, and so that was a great time in my life. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting all nostalgic here on you, but... Uh, this, this is really, really cool. This has been one of my favorite songs uh, ever since it came out. It was originally featured on the Coneheads soundtrack. That's where I first heard it when I was at my friend Big Steve's house uh, back in the day. And uh, then I, I went out and bought the CD single for it, which uh, had this song and uh, a live version of another one of their songs. Anyhow, let me tell you what it is. 
It's the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Soul to Squeeze. Now, let me talk about the Chili Peppers here. I, I always got to, you know, just keep going on and on and on before I actually play you the song. But uh, I have a, a love-hate relationship with the Chili Peppers. I really do. I love their early stuff. And, and I think that uh, the same holds true for the Red Hot Chili Peppers that holds true for other bands like Metallica and things like that, where all the substance abuse was really beneficial to your music then. And, and once you get off the drugs or you get off the booze or whatever you're doing, uh, the music really seems to uh, blow <laughs> really, really bad. We saw it happen to Metallica. They, uh, well, actually, I think they were still drinking and doing all kinds of crazy stuff during load and reload which is uh, obvious that they were just full-blown out of it at that point. But then they sobered up, and they did things like Saint Anger and uh, Death Magnetic. Ugh, horrible, horrible. But <laughs> and the same holds true for the Chili Peppers. Um, as soon as they get off the heroin, then, uh, you know, it seems like their music just goes way soft and boring and horrible, and that's what's happened to them. <laughs> and I'm not even sure I like Anthony Kiedis and the boys that much. Um... On a more of a personal level, just because of things that they've done uh, with bands like Mr. Bungle and that whole thing, they, they seem to be uh, really, they seem to think a lot of themselves. Um, but I, I, I can't take away from the fact of how influential this band was with me. You know, I heard, you know, albums like Mother's Milk and Freaky Styly and, um, uh, of course, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And, uh, you know, those those albums really affected me. And uh, so Soul to Squeeze was, was actually one of the, um, I don't want to say outtakes, but uh, one of the B-sides that they did not include on the album Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And it's really ironic that it became a big hit after it uh, came out on the Conehead soundtrack. So that's what I'm covering for you this week. It's Soul to Squeeze. As far as the arrangement goes, uh, the only thing that I really did is I kind of flip-flopped the solo. If you know the song and you listen to the song, you know that there are kind of two parts to the, the middle solo section. I kind of flip-flopped them. So that was it. <sighs> I'm talking too much. Here, listen to the song. Soul to Squeeze. Thanks. Yeah. 
Boy, oh boy, how's that for a podcast? Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you to Eric S. Brown for just brightening my week and uh, coming on the show. Everybody, go check out Season of Death, his very first hardcover. Huge deal. Uh, Eric S. Brown's a great guy, and it's authors like him that need your support more than the big industry authors that are out there. 
and uh, you know that. So yeah, go check it out, put up all kinds of links where you can find out more. Well, thank you to everybody that called in this week and made things possible. Go check out my website where this all comes from, midnightcory.com. I'll keep you updated about my movie and other fun things I'm doing. National Novel Writing Month is coming up. Um, I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to be blogging my novel again this year. Did it last year, and um, people seem to like it. So perhaps I'll do it again. I don't know. We'll wait and see. But uh, I am participating. You can go to nanorimo.org and sign up. It's all free and it's a lot of fun. You write 50,000 words in one month. So can you do it? Well, this will be my fifth year. So yeah, how about that? <laughs> and none of it has ever seen the light of day except what I blogged last year. And now it's just kind of sitting there. So yeah, hooray. Uh, yeah, yeah. What else? Voicemail line. Have I given that out yet? I don't even remember. 814-806-2828. I would love to hear from you. Next week, we're going to talk about 1956's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, also technically a zombie movie, I believe. Uh, it's been remade twice, once in 1978, I believe, and then again in 1993. So I might even talk about those. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but that's about it. Uh, thank you again for listening. I appreciate all your support, and uh, I'll talk to you again maybe soon. Who knows? The other man. Wow. 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 wow.